0: Well, we've been uh, beginning and moving into our third week this week of our all-in 30-day challenge. And uh, this is the day that we're going to look at, and you've had the week to be reading your devotions in in this on spiritual growth. And the Bible study hour that preceded this was about spiritual growth. And it's one of the uh, five things that the uh, early church, the picture of that church that we have in Acts chapter 2, of the Jerusalem church uh, shows us uh, what they valued and what they... um what they valued as their purpose and how they ministered and how so, so many wonderful great things were taking place in the life of that church. And then as we move on over into the New Testament to talk about spiritual growth we get to um, my second favorite passage on the church. This one in Acts 2 is my favorite passage of Scripture that describes the church. And then when we go to Ephesians 4 there's a beautiful picture there about the church as it grows in Christ and it matures. So let's hear the one from Acts 2 first. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, that was an exciting time in the life of the church. And if we look at it carefully, well, I think we can identify those five things that uh, were their purposes that they kind of rallied around and you see lived out in the church. One was authentic community, and we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. That it was a genuine community where people were real and honest with each other. Then secondly, we looked at worship as a lifestyle. They didn't just worship one day a week, but they had a lifestyle of worship, and so should we. Then there was a commitment to spiritual growth, and we are going to talk about that today today. Then there was stewardship that they practiced out of a generous heart and a generous lifestyle of stewardship. They not only gave to God but they evidently had their finances in such control that they could manage them so that there was money to meet needs of people in that church and community as they came up. And then finally we see that because they were excited about their relationship with Christ and the excitement and enthusiasm of being in awe of Him and seeing all these wonderful things take place, they were involved in outreach. They witnessed and they shared their faith uh, to others around them in the community. And the Scripture says that God blessed all of that and that day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. That was an exciting time, wasn't it? Now... What we are attempting to do in the 30-day challenge and focus on these five purposes and the exciting things of ministry that is going on in that church is to challenge ourselves and our church at Spring Valley. That we are more than just an organization to belong to and more than a place just to come to. But that we need to be reminded that we are the people of God on a mission and a purpose. And we need to be a, a spiritually transforming group of people. We need to be a a transformational group in this community so that we can reach people uh, in this this community who do not know Jesus Christ and that we can do so through the life and ministry of our church. So far we looked at that authentic community, the importance of being involved in the life of a church where you've got a a support group in a church where you you have bonded together with other baptized believers in Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at worship and about the concept of worship being a lifestyle of constantly praising and adoring God because of who He is. And today we come to look at the third one which is spiritual maturity. And it reminds us that life is about growth and spiritual life also is about growth. Now that takes us to my, my second favorite passage of Scripture on, uh, on the church and how it should grow and function. And it comes out of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And, and in fact, it's a great letter that he writes to that church that also I think could be addressed to any church. Because it talks about a lot of different things about the church and how it should be made up and how it should function. But look with me in um, Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 11 as we read these words. It was, to he, it, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists. And by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is, Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, then we can see that uh, just very obviously, That Paul says to this group of believers in Ephesus that they were in Christ, but that they needed to grow to reach a level of maturity. And I think as we look at these words and unwrap them, looking at this uh, great writing that Paul gives to us, there are at least three things that he speaks to us about, uh, about this spiritual growth that we need to be involved in. First of all, uh, there is a mandate for spiritual growth. Uh, Paul doesn't say you have the option of growing spiritually. He says there's a mandate. He said, I want you to grow spiritually and not remain a spiritual babe any longer. You've got to grow. I said, the Bible tells us that when we come to know Christ, when we become a Christian, when we confess our sins and embrace Christ as our Savior, that we go through that process called being born again. That means we have a brand new start on life. Our sins are forgiven. And then that means if we are born again, that means that we are babes in Christ, right? Now, what about a baby? What do they need? A baby needs to grow, needs nourishment for it to grow and reach its level of maturity that God has designed for it. This week on Monday night late we had the privilege, Cookie and I did, of welcoming our seventh grandchild into this world. Uh, Josie Ann was born to our son Andrew and uh, his wife uh, Megan. And she weighed in at a whopping 8 pounds, 15 ounces and 21 and a half inches long. Now, she had a few little complications, went through labor for a long time, and, and so she 's been in the uh, NICU Neo, neonatal intensive care unit, but uh, we 're hoping that by midweek or so she 's going to be out and be doing fine so Emily Ann got to th- other daughter, one of our other daughters, Emily Ann, got to thinking about uh, all the different weights of the children that were born into our family and she sent me a text about it, and I checked it out in my prayer journal because i 've got them written down there as well uh, Caroline. Uh, was born at seven pounds, 15 ounces. She was the lightest of our grandchildren. And then it just goes up. Sally came in at eight pounds, four ounces. Wyatt came in at eight pounds, nine ounces. Ellie came in at eight pounds, 11 ounces. Manning came in at eight pounds, 12 ounces. Molly was eight pounds, 13 ounces. And Josie, of course, came at eight pounds, 15 ounces. Now, those are pretty good-sized babies. In fact, depending upon where you do your research, um, they will tell you that the average weight of a newborn is seven pounds and six ounces. Now, you see that all of ours were beyond that, right? Yeah, every, every one of them were beyond that. And we had some big babies. Andrew, it's not surprising that Josie weighed 815 because Andrew, the daddy, our son, weighed 11 pounds, six ounces when he was born. And his wife, Megan, was around, what, nine as well when she was born. So, you know, they anticipated a big baby, and she was at 815. I mean, when Andrew was born, we had all the newborn clothes, you know, they had to dress him in and take him all that. I had to go home and get like six-month clothes to bring back so we could dress him. And he would barely fit in that bassinet that they have in the hospital. And everywhere I went, I could see people pointing at me and saying, that's the daddy of that big baby, you know. Well, it just so happened that most people didn't know this, that there was a woman about this size, and her husband was way up here like this, that she gave birth to twins that were over 14 pounds of weight combined between those two. So, I got to thinking about, you know, well, babies come at different sizes and different, different lengths and all of that. And again, depending upon your resource, uh, I wonder, what's the smallest child ever born uh, that survived? And I messed this up in the 845, and I didn't realize it until people told me afterwards. But, they said, but that the smallest child born to survive was born in 2004 in Chicago, weighed 8.6 ounces. I think in the first service I said 8.6, 8 pounds, 6 ounces. So 8.6 ounces. Now, that's incredible, isn't it? Now let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Wonder what the largest baby is. Well the research said in in Italy in 1955 a baby boy was born weighing 22 pounds 8 ounces. Now all you women are going oh. (laughs) I mean can you imagine that? I mean that's three children right there in one. Well. That's a big baby. I mean, a whopper. And we could say poor mother. But you know what? Every Sunday, week to week, there are bigger babies that sit in the pews of churches. Some of them weigh 100 pounds. Some of them weigh 150 pounds. Some of them weigh 180 pounds. Some of them weigh 200 pounds and over. I'm not talking about newborns. I'm talking about people who have not grown spiritually. They just choose to remain spiritual babes. Amen. And the Bible mandates that we're supposed to grow to a level of spiritual maturity. It reminds me of a song that I love there's one phrase in it that I really remember. Years ago uh, Amy Grant came out with a song that went like this, that I know a man and maybe you know him too. You never can tell it might even be you. He knelt at the altar and that was the end. He saved and that's all that matters to him. His spiritual tummy, it can't take too much. One day a week, he gets his spiritual lunch. On Sunday, he puts on his spiritual best and gives his his language a spiritual rest. And then she gets to my favorite part about it. She said, he's a fat little baby, and all he wants is his bottle, and he doesn't mean maybe. So there are a lot of fat little babies in the kingdom of God, and that's not what we're supposed to be. We are supposed to grow to maturity, spiritual maturity. You see, that is what allows the church to grow and have its influence and be healthy and dynamic and transformational in its communities when it has mature believers who are working together, growing in that faith. How would you describe a mature believer? Well, Charles Swindoll gives this definition, this description. And I really like this. So said, a grown-up Christian displays wisdom, self-discipline, and commitment to a consistent walk with Christ. He or she is determined to obey God regardless of the cost. To seek regular nourishment from his word also. A mature Christian strives to reach out and care for others whether they be friend or foe. Such an individual willingly shoulders his or her responsibilities with a contagiously positive attitude. That's what a mature grown up Christian is. Well let me ask you. Does that description fit you? Do you meet that description? Could you be identified like that as a mature believer in Christ? So, when you go back and you look at the heart of this passage in Ephesians 4 and verse 13, Paul is saying, I really want you to become mature. Now, if you've got a King James translation, and I don't know about others, but it says, Paul says, I want you to become a perfect man. And that word throws some people off to begin with. They say, You know, I can't be perfect. There was only one perfect man, and that was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. How can I be expected to be perfect? Well, you're not expected to be perfect. That's why you need to understand the meaning of that word. It doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean without fault, but it simply means mature. And you can become mature as a believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, that word used there for mature is a word that's used to describe a tree when it is producing fruit and growing as it should grow. In fact, in Colossians 2, Paul uses that same analogy in verses 6-7. through He says, So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened into faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See, trees grow until really the, the day that they die. And humans usually do too. But sometimes, spiritually, we can start dying on the inside. And you know how you can tell if somebody's dying on the inside spiritually and they're not maturing? They stop learning, they stop maturing, and they stop caring. You see, when they stop learning, that means they're not doing any Bible study. They haven't discovered any new revelation of truth in God's Word. They're not uh, talking or referring to any uh, uh, book that they have read recently on some kind of spiritual growth. Challenge them the spiritual growth. They're not talking about any seminar they've been to. They're not talking about a sermon they've heard or a Sunday school lesson or any of. They're, just, they're doing nothing to grow. And and you can always tell when a person has stopped maturing because well their character hasn't changed. You see the gospel is to be life transforming and changing us our behavior our attitude and our actions. If you see somebody's character hasn't changed, then they aren't growing in, in the faith. Then, third, you can tell when a person has stopped caring because, well, they just don't care. They don't care any more about children starving in another country than they'd care about their lost neighbor who lives next door. They just don't care. They made a decision for Christ, and I would question a decision that shallow. But they made a decision for Christ that they could just basically check off their bucket list to say, well, I need to get this over with so I can be safe and I can go to heaven when I die. And that's all they want to do. And they're fat little babies. Or maybe they're skinny spiritual babes. But it's a mandate for us to grow. We really aren't supposed to be having that as an option And the second thing I think Paul says is that he reminds us about the motive for spiritual growth. I mean, why should we be motivated to grow spiritually? I think we always want to do what the Bible says, God's Word says, and be obedient to that. And I think we always want to be obedient to the will of God. Well, the Bible says the will of God is that we grow and we mature in our faith. Now, there are two reasons that I think Paul does justice to very well in this passage of Scripture. And I think we need to hear it too because it relates to us today very strongly in the life of this church at Spring Valley. We live in a very diverse uh, community. We live in diverse times. There's probably more diversity on the face of the earth than at any time except maybe back when the church was birthed into that diverse uh, non-Christian community. But Paul reminds us here that why we need maturity in our spiritual life And first of all, it says it's to help us understand our diversity. You see, because we are so diverse, we've got more generations on the face of the earth than ever before. We've got more uh, uh, different religions and faiths and likes and dislikes even in the Christian faith and styles of worship and all of that than probably ever before. We've got different fashion styles than ever before. It just amazes me to, to go to public places like down at the mall a couple of weeks ago when we were there taking some time off at the beach and just watch people and watch the different styles and watch the, the different ways that they dress and the different way that they look. Well, the same thing is true in church. Now, I, I think that you have to discover that there are long haired Christians, there are short haired Christians, there are no hair Christians. They're white-collar Christians. They're blue-collar Christians. They're no-collar Christians. Some of them no shoes either. Some of them have tattoos and piercings. Some of them don't. You see, one of the big problems is if we don't mature in our faith, we have a tendency to, to ostracize, cut off, or not support somebody who doesn't look and act and believe just like we do. And that's why we need to grow in our spiritual maturity. Somebody once said, you know when you're reaching spiritual maturity when you don't try to figure out the level of spiritual maturity of the people around you. I think that's a good way you measure your level of spiritual maturity. See, when you stop trying to look at other people and say, I wonder if they're as mature as I am. I wonder if they believe the same way that I believe. You know, when you reach a level of spiritual maturity, you don't wonder about that. You don't question about that. So we need to then we need to grow because we are more diverse than ever before. And our church is diverse. You look at the different ages, you look at the different lifestyles, the generations from which people come. Some have a preference for this style of worship. Some want the traditional worship. You know, some want a different type of Bible study than others. And so we've we've got to have that spiritual maturity to be able to embrace diversity. And that points to the second thing that Paul talks about, the reason why we need to have spiritual maturity. It's because... We need it to strengthen our unity. You see, as diverse as we are, we still need to experience unity. And we need that maturity that will allow us to embrace the diversity that we have and still maintain our unity. Paul writes in verse 13 and says, We should keep growing until we reach the unity in the faith. Now, We don't create unity. It is created by the Holy Spirit living in us and living out of us. But it should be something that we are always working towards as we turn our life over to Christ. I don't think we will ever get to the point to say we found or we discovered unity. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. I think sometimes churches really don't realize the unity that they have until they come under attack from outside. You know, oftentimes there's, a, uh, there's always a little maybe underlying current in some churches about uh, some bickering and, and this and that and that. about. So I don't like this and don't like that and what's this in it for me and all that kind of stuff like that. You know, that's going to be normal because of our diversity and different likes and all of that. And if we're mature, we can handle it. And the maturity really shows up when we get attacked from the outside. When the enemy sees us organized, that bothers him. And that enemy is Satan. And that's when he's going to attack the church. And that's why we need to be mature, because we will be able to handle that attack and maintain our unity. Uh, You remember Aesop's Fables? One of my favorite stories was about a father who knew that his life was not long in this world, and he had four or five sons, and he wanted to stress to them the importance of their unity and maintaining on unity as a family and what strength there would be. So he had one of his servants bind up a bunch of sticks, and then he gathered his sons around him on his deathbed, and he gave it to the oldest son, and he said, "Break them." and of course they're all together and bound together, and they couldn't be broken. And they passed it down to every son all the way down to the youngest one, and they couldn't be broken. And then he said, okay, unbind them. And they took the binding off. And he said, each one of you take a stick. And they took a stick. He said, now break them. And they easily broke the stick. And the lesson went home. See, there is strength and power in unity. And if we grow to spiritual maturity, then we'll have that kind of unity. That when the attack comes, we will be able to rise together as one, as a body in Christ. That's why... Spiritual maturity is so important. And then there is a third thing I think that Paul says, and he talks about here the measure of our maturity. Uh, I would imagine that some of you that uh, have small children particularly uh, or growing children uh, might have a place somewhere like in the laundry room or on a door frame or something where you mark heights and put a date and all that kind of stuff like that. That is interesting to go back and look at that and, and, and chart their growth. Interesting. Well, There is a way that we need to measure our maturity. Now, how do you think most of us would go about measuring maturity? If you were challenged to measure your level of maturity, how would you do it? Chances are that most of us would always look around for somebody weaker than we are and less less mature than we are and and measure ourselves against them. That's not what Paul says to do. He doesn't even say, take a strong believer... Somebody who's had influence on your life and measure your life by that. Could be a deacon, could be a Sunday school teacher, could be a pastor, a student pastor, could be a friend, could be a family member, somebody like that. He says that. He doesn't say do it that way. He doesn't say if you want a greater challenge take somebody like Billy Graham and measure your spiritual maturity against him. Billy Graham, up in age, but his evangelistic association has never had a question about its integrity. You can't say that about all evangelists. Or Paul says you could take somebody that's a noted Christian author, or writer, or speaker. Like who do the ladies have? Jennifer Kennedy Dean here last week. You might want to say, I'm going to measure my life against hers. Paul says, no, that's not, that's not your level of measure. You look at what he says and Paul says, Our standard should never be the weakest nor the strongest person we know, but who? Paul tells us that that standard is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Listen to Verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, our standard for measuring our spiritual maturity is Jesus Christ and nobody else. And he talks there about, uses that phrase, attaining towards or attaining to. And it simply means that we constantly work on, on attaining to that. And how do we do that? Well, again, it's not what we do, but it's yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our life to produce that level of maturity. We have to come to Christ as a believer and become a babe in Christ as we confess our faith and we're born again. But then we have to allow the Holy Spirit that comes into our life when we are converted and become a believer in Christ. We have to allow that Holy Spirit to work in our life, to move in our life, to grow us. And to mature us into the image of Jesus Christ. And that only happens as we yield to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, I have three things I think that Paul says as he closes this section of scripture that helps us understand what happens as we grow to maturity and we measure that. First of all, there's spiritual and emotional stability. And verse 14 says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. You see there is an acceptable time to be a babe in Christ. But after a period of time you are expected to grow and reach a level of maturity. If you don't you are going to be a wishy-washy, unsettled, emotional Christian And that's not what God wants. You're going to be up and down and up and down all the way through your life. And that's not what He wants. You're supposed to be mature. And spiritual and and emotional maturity are a result of our growing in Christ. And then the second thing is, He says, You'll not only be uh, spiritually um, uh, controlled and and spiritually determined and grounded, but He says you'll also be uh, theologically grounded. You know, as he talks about there, the the winds of doctrine that blow. You know, I don't know whether it's true now, but it used to always be that Southern Baptists were the biggest converts to all the cults of today because they never studied their doctrine. They didn't grow as they should grow. So you should be able to grow in your theology, that's your understanding of the scriptures, that you can immediately recognize when somebody is telling you something that's not in the Bible, that's not biblical, it's not the Word of God, and it certainly is not true about the way that God would act. But a lot of people and Southern Baptists probably lead that list, are not in that mature category. So you see, that's one of the benefits about that, is that we grow to be stable emotionally. And theologically, spiritually. Then secondly, he says then, we're characterized by loving speech. Verse 15 says, instead speaking the truth in love. He says that one of the marks of a mature believer is that you you speak uh, truth and you always speak it in love. Uh, If somebody comes up to you and maybe you've had this to happen and they say, I just want to let you know that the truth hurts. What can you expect? Uh, They're getting ready to unload on you, aren't they? And that's not a pleasant experience. And that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul talks about speaking the truth but doing it in love. I want you to think about three words. Brutality, hypocrisy, and maturity. Brutality is when you speak the truth but there's no love. Hypocrisy is love without confronting somebody with the truth. But then maturity is speaking the truth in love. And that's a mark of our level of maturity. And that's what Paul says we should do. Then the third thing that Paul says our maturity should lead us to do is live a life of living service. Living service. Look at verse 16. Paul says, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and and builds itself up in love. And the last phrase is, as each part does its work. You know what that means? That means that spiritually mature and growing Christians serve. You serve. You do your part. What if everybody in this church were just like you? They'd had the same gifts, they'd look like you, they do the same things, they'd have the same interest. We just have a, a one-dimensional church. What if everybody was just like me? Wouldn't wouldn't need it? We wouldn't need one of us. W- wouldn't be needed because you don't need two of us, right? You see, that's why we're all created differently. We have different gifts. We have different abilities. We have different passions. We have different interests. We can serve differently in different places, and that's why Paul uses that analogy of the human body to say, as each part does its work. I like the way Rick Warren describes it about that living service. He says that a spiritual maturity occurs. When a believer takes off the bib and puts on an apron, that's when you put your bottle aside and you don't want to be spoon-fed any longer and you're ready to go to work to do your part in the kingdom of God. So today, as we've gone through this process of looking for this third week at these five characteristics of that early church in Jerusalem, we talked about spiritual maturity. And the challenge is that it is mandated by God and His Word that we grow to spiritual maturity. It's not to be an option. So I want to ask you today, how are you doing in that? Are you growing spiritually? Are you nourishing your soul as you are your body? Are you getting spiritually fit as you're trying to get physically fit? Are you willing to serve as you grow and mature? Are you willing to be mature that you can accept and embrace diversity I'm not talking about tolerance of other beliefs to saying they're they are still the same way you can get to the same God, the same place of eternity. I'm not talking about that kind of tolerance. I'm talking about embracing diversity within the kingdom of God. And say, are you willing to serve? Put on that apron, taking off that bib, mature enough that you're willing to serve. See, that's what God wants us to do. The early church were characterized by being devoted to the apostles' teaching because they wanted to grow. They wanted to absorb everything they could. And not just for Bible study. I had Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, more Bible study. At some point in time, you got to reach that level of maturity that you take your knowledge and you put it into action. How are you doing with that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that we can become a part of your family through faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. And we thank you also that that you give us the model for maturity in Jesus Christ. And we also thank you that when we become a babe in Christ, when we're born again, uh, that you put the Holy Spirit in our life to to live there and dwell there and to give us uh, all that we need and to to move us from one level of maturity to the next. And so, Father, I pray that your Spirit will move in in this congregation at Spring Valley and we will sense the need to grow to maturity in our faith in Christ. And we will show that in what we do for your glory. And we will do it every day. And Father, I pray that these decisions will come as uh, hearts and lives are open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.